This is episode four. You can find the show notes for this episode at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash four. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we are riding to the top floor with Tammy Gillis, founder and CEO of Gillis Sales. Tammy's career began at Hilton, took her to BlackBerry, where she was head of global sales training, and led her back to hospitality when she founded Gillis Sales in 2013. Gillis Sales offers both sales for hire and sales training for hotel owners and general managers. Tammy's company has worked with hundreds of hotels across North America, which led her to write Room to Grow, her book about not leaving sales to chance. Today, we're going to talk about Room to Grow and discuss how to market a focused sales effort internally to an operations team or ownership group. Tammy, before we get started, we've got an urgent question on the emergency call button, which is our hotline. (laughs) This is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. Today's question was submitted by Fred A. Fred says... It seems like all my sales managers want to do is make flyers. How do I get them to do actual sales instead of marketing? So I think he must mean like when you do those flyers for a funeral home to talk about your hotel's memorial service package or sports team, stuff like that. I think that's what Fred's referring to. What do you think? How can Fred get his sales managers to stop marketing and start selling? Well, that's a really great question, Fred. And first of all, Susan, thank you for having me on your podcast. Congrats on launching your own podcast. I love everything about it. So let me see. I think that could be a symptom and I want to address the symptom. So first of all, not all salespeople are alike and not all salespeople are good at all parts of the sales process. So when you're a GM or an owner or even a director of sales and you're looking at hiring or you're looking at training your existing sales team, you have to really be clear on what is their role profile. Are they hunters? Are they farmers? Do you want somebody who's, you know, for example, a farmer, just simply managing sports teams, wedding blocks, sending out flyers, sending out contracts and doing all of that busy work? Or do you truly want them to leave the office, knock on virtual doors, pick up the phone and hunt for business? Because the skill set and the mindset between those two are very different. The challenge is most owners and operators don't know the difference. They think that all salespeople are alike. So I would say, you know, have you set them up for success? Have you properly created a role profile and a job description so they know exactly how they're being measured? And how are they being supported? You could very well have the wrong person in that seat. So it's a bigger conversation and it's more of a symptom, I think, than a root cause. 
One of the things you said, Tammy, I agree with so much, which is, do they have the right resources? My sense is if the salespeople are spending a lot of time making their own collateral, they don't have at their fingertips the things that they need to reach the markets that they're after. Very true. So Fred may want to invest in some type of overhaul of collateral or some way to make it easy for them to customize a couple of things so they're not spending a lot of time on it. Love that. Love that. Excellent. Fred, I hope that helps you. And... Now, I'd like to start with talking a little bit, Tammy, about your career and your path to your current role. Tell us how working in hotels led you to become the head of global sales for BlackBerry. It was a bit of a crazy departure, right? Because I absolutely love hospitality. And this happened in 2006, a long time ago. And I was feeling, quite honestly, a little burnt out. And and I wasn't sure my next move in hospitality. And then Blackberry's head office is in my backyard, Kitchener-Waterloo area, outside of Toronto. And this was pre-iPhone, pre-Samsung, which is really important because it had cachet. Anybody who was anyone in business had a Blackberry And they were bringing it to the consumer and needed somebody to come on board and build their global sales training team. And I thought, you know, I want to slow down a little bit. And I joined a high-tech company, which didn't work out very well. You know, I thought (laughs) hotels were crazy, but it was an insane seven years. But I was able to bring my love for sales and my love for training to a different industry. And we did remarkable things. I did not love technology. I missed hotels, but again, I loved the sales piece. And I think that's why they were interested in my background is my hospitality background. They had a ton of geeks and engineers who knew (laughs) technology, but my background being in hospitality and sales and training is really what I brought to the table. And I will say that throughout my time at BlackBerry, I still kept in touch with some of my past clients and did some hospitality consulting and training on the side and thought, I miss it. And so that's when I left, I guess, going on eight years ago. But I can tell you, I learned so much from having left the industry and it's made me a better business owner because at BlackBerry, I had to be very entrepreneurial. I think if they launched another device, it would make a huge comeback with all of us nostalgic folks that miss our keyboard, the physical keyboard. I think I was one of the last holdouts and I had every color of Blackberry. My last one was like this gorgeous purple. I miss it so much. The Blackberry Bold was my favorite. I loved it. And the keyboard, you can't beat the keyboard. I know. Plus, it's so satisfying to hit those buttons. You know how little children like to press the buttons in the elevator? That's how I felt when I would type emails on a Blackberry. (laughs) (laughs) So you founded your company in 2013. What was your original vision for Gillis Sales? And how has that evolved over the last eight years? Yeah, we're coming up to our eight-year anniversary next month, which is absolutely insane. I've always had a passion for sales. And I've said, you know, maybe I need to get a hobby because I'm just so... I want everyone to love sales as much as I do. I want everyone to support their salespeople to the greatest extent they can. 
And I think that sales in all industries just has a bad rap. And so my passion for starting my company was to elevate the sales profession. The challenges were often thrown in a corner, given a phone, given a territory and a quota, not really supported. And salespeople end up reporting to operations people who don't understand that it's a process and that it's a skilled trade. So they're not able to coach. They're not able to observe. They're not able to properly support the function. I love hospitality. I can't imagine doing this for any other industry. But my reason for starting my company, I want to change the face of sales. I want to make it as a viable, respected career. And I want to set people up for success so they don't leave our industry. If you had to choose, would you offer sales training only or sales for hire only? I think if I had to choose, I would choose the sales for hire. And let me tell you how it's evolved. This will probably answer the second part of that question. I launched eight years ago doing sales training only. And I was working for brands and I was working for you know management companies or individual groups would bring me in to train. And what I realized is you can teach somebody and it doesn't mean when they go back to the hotel, they're going to be able to do it. And the more people I trained, especially owners and operators, the more they said to me, I don't have a salesperson on property. I don't have the budget for a full-time salesperson. My market's not big enough, or I have horrendous turnover. And so that's when sales for hire, what we call our dynamic sales solution, was born. And it was really to make sales accessible and achievable to all hotel owners. It doesn't matter if you're an 80-room Holiday Inn Express in a tier two market. You should have the same access to sales support as a full-service hotel in New York or Chicago. And you shouldn't be at a disadvantage because you're a smaller hotel and you have a smaller budget. I know you've worked with hundreds of hotels over the years of your company. What do you think are two or three of the biggest changes that you've seen over that period of time? I think sadly, not enough has changed. A lot of things have changed in business, in our environment, the market. But the more things change in the world around us, the more hotels and in our industry digs our heels in and doesn't want to change, right? That and, and we're seeing this during the pandemic. There's such a fear to evolve because hotels have been in crisis mode for 18 months. And so a few things have changed around us. The customer has evolved. The customer is more informed. They're more educated. They are savvier and they're looking for a different experience, not just service-wise, but when they're engaging with a salesperson, you know, I use the word pitch slapping a lot. They don't <laughs> want to be pitch slapped. Tell us what pitch slapping is. And it's with a P. So in case I wasn't enunciating <laughs> properly, it's with the P, pitch slapping. So we're showing up like a walking, talking electronic brochure and we're selling rate states in space. And we are not connecting the dots between what we do and what they need. So, you know, salespeople have to ask themselves, are you adding any more value than what they can find online when they go to your website? Because that's what they're going to do before they even have a conversation with you. But that hasn't evolved. And it's not for lack of experience. There's a massive mindset shift that has to happen. Pre-COVID, we knew that there was lots of demand. And hotels still thought that sales was a nice to have and not a need to have. 
believe it or not, today, despite the pandemic and the lack of demand, a lot of hotel owners are still waiting and seeing and think that, you know, when my occupancy ramps up and I have more money, I can afford sales. It's an imperative. The market's changed. The customer's changed. The buyer's changed. And here we are, like our grandfather's Oldsmobile, you know, just not wanting to evolve <laughs> and, and wanting to just continue to do things the way we've always done them. I absolutely loved your book, Room to Grow. I read it in one sitting while I was waiting for my plane on the way to Alice in Los Angeles. And then I walked around like a book salesperson trying to sell it to people <laughs> while I was there. The premise of the book, at least as I understood it, is that the decade leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic was so fruitful and profitable for hotels that they could sort of be successful by accident without necessarily investing in salespeople or training, that kind of thing. When demand went away, hotels were left sort of without an ability to create or find their own demand. Can you talk about what that looks like in a typical hotel that your company works with? Let me tell you how it looked before COVID and how it's looking now. Before COVID, you know, our company was growing 30 to 40% year over year just from hotels needing our services. And this was when times were good. The reason that hotel owners finally sat up and said, I need sales is because we had an oversupply of select service hotels. That's where the development was. One Fairfield in a secondary market now had four new hotels in its comp set that it had to compete with. So it was out of a pain and competition coming in the market. That's why they reached out to us before COVID. They rested on the fact that there was enough demand. They were the only product in town. And then, you know, two or three more shiny ones come in markets. Maybe they're better corporate brands with better rewards programs. Now what it looks like, and this is probably the most shocking part, is they're waiting and seeing. They're calling and they're realizing that, hey, I need to invest in sales. But with this whole Delta variant, we're going to wait and see till December. And you can't wait and see because sales is something whether it's you're working with us, you're working with another third party or your own on-site person, it's three to six months, nine months, 12 months out that you're working. It's not a lever that we're pulling like revenue management where you're you know, offering a promotion and rooms are checking in the next day. So yeah, that the mindset right now, it's a lot of owners are very afraid. But I think what's interesting on the upside is the world's figured out that we can all work remote and owners that perhaps were hesitant about hiring remote sales support now get it. They now understand it. Do you find that hotel owners think of third-party sales as a cost savings? Maybe not now, but in non-pandemic times? I would say savvy owners or management companies, yes, but you'd be surprised when they're doing the math and saying, well, I could hire a full-time front desk person for that. And I'll say hire four of them then. If you think that <laughs> respectfully... <laughs> who are uh, they going to check in? <laughs> yeah. Who are they going to check in exactly? <laughs> so there's some owners that are just very transactional 
and they're doing the math, they don't understand that the average cost of a salesperson is 60 to 80,000 plus, 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 right? And they see it as, well, I can hire someone for 25,000. They see it as cost savings. They see it as an expense. Far too many see sales as an expense and not an investment. One of my favorite parts of your book is when you make the differentiation between a sales conversation and a business conversation. Honestly, I don't think I had ever heard it put that way before. And I thought it was really, really well done. Can you explain that distinction? It's something very subtle, but when that shift is made, it makes a huge difference to the client and to the buyer. So I often refer to in training, and I mentioned the book, clients are not buying what you are selling. They're buying what your product or service enables them to do. So when you're going around talking about rates, dates, and space, I've got newly you know, renovated rooms. We just had a great renovation. We've got the best breakfast. We have Wi-Fi. Well, so does everybody else in your comp set. That is not a differentiator. But your ability to say, hang on, what does that mean to a general contractor bringing in his or her crew for a three-month project versus a coach of a swim team that's coming in for a competition versus a global travel buyer from Amazon. Each of those buyers is very different. And our ability to speak their language, for example, a general contractor, they care about, you know, are you going to serve breakfast early enough so when my guys leave at 5.30 in the morning, they can get a hot breakfast? And are you going to have flexible housekeeping? And do you have on-site laundry? Do you have well-lit parking? And can you park semi-trailers in the parking lot? That is a very different value proposition than a swim coach. And we have to be able to speak their language. It's connecting the dots, not pitch slapping. They can find rates, dates, and space online. They do not need a salesperson for that. And we need to do better. You write about the importance of allowing salespeople to focus on sales rather than being pulled into the operation. In a time when so many people have been laid off and hotels are short-staffed, what's the harm in asking a sales manager to pull front office shifts? They've definitely been doing it the past 18 months. And it's kept a lot of salespeople employed. And I think anytime a salesperson can get behind the front desk, the front desk is the front line for sales. So that's an amazing place to be qualifying guests and qualifying those guests that have booked through an OTA or a promotion, what brings you to town, those are sales leads. So there's a time and a place for that. The challenge is if you don't have a plan for easing your director of sales or salesperson away from operations, if your competition has a salesperson, guess whose clients they're going after. If I was in your market and I knew that your DOS was working 50 hours on the front desk and my GM, you know, maybe I was pulling the odd shift if someone came in sick, I'd be going after your top accounts. We're all looking for buying signals and figuring out who's traveling. Your salespeople need to be getting out there and having as many conversations with your clients and your competition's clients as possible. Everything is fair game. 
So if hotels want to remain in operations mode, they're going to be operating in crisis mode while their comp set ramps up faster. That's just a reality. This idea that salespeople should exclusively focus on selling is not unique, at least in my sort of 20 plus year career in hotels. It's a battle that has been raging for two decades or more. Why do you think the battle keeps raging? Like, why do you think this isn't settled business? I think you have to look, it might differ. The reason for that could be different for a select service hotel versus a full service hotel. So I remember when I was a director of sales at a full service hotel and I owned market segments and I was out there selling and I had a team of 10 people and I still owned what kept me in operations, probably too many internal meetings, which were important. And we were big convention hotels. So when clients came on board for their meetings and conventions, you wanted to meet them. You were wanting and dining them. So here's the thing, that probably will never go away, but you have to find a way to balance the revenue generating, the proactive revenue generating, and then the reactive or the ops piece and advocate and go to your GM, which I did when I was a DOS and property and said, listen, I'm a salesperson and I want to make this hotel more money. We need to cut back on these meetings. But here's the thing. Some salespeople like the busy work and they don't like the hunting. And maybe they don't want to be full-time having to knock on doors and hunt for business. They like the busy work. And all the more reason that hotels, you want to have the right person in the right seat because it's very easy to get swept up into the busyness. And you can hide for a long time as a salesperson on property and pick up the phone or be on the receiving end of an incoming inquiry and your numbers look great. I also wonder if there might not be a place for that type of sales enabler, someone who is expert at providing the information correctly and accurately for a group resume to turn over to convention services or whatever like that that sort of detail, busy work that does not drive the revenue needle forward, but still has to get done. I almost wonder if there's a way to re-envision the staffing model or the roles, sort of the way that revenue strategy has in some hotels where there is the strategist or the revenue optimizer, and then the analyst who's pushing the buttons, exporting the Excel report, Yeah, we've been having conversations, for example, with with management companies that perhaps had property-level salespeople, they had sales coordinators, they had a catering coordinator, maybe they had a regional person looking after regional accounts for the portfolio. Now's the opportunity to say what worked before COVID, what didn't work, and how can you recreate your structure as occupancy ramps up? And so some of the conversations we're having with some of our clients that we sell for is, listen, we're not the farmer. You still need a sales coordinator or a junior salesperson on property, taking all of those incoming inquiries, doing those site inspections, putting those kits together for the bride and and doing the BEOs and the contract work. That is valuable work. 
And that relationship management and actually answering the phone when it rings is really important. So we'll work with a client and say, let us be your hunter, but you need a farmer and a relationship manager on site. And we will work with that person. And then as occupancy ramps up, you might need another hunter. You might need another farmer. It's not either or, it's and. So there's a lot of education that we're doing because people in operations think that all salespeople are alike and we can just put them in the role and they're going to do all sales activities. But something's got to give at some point. And they're going to end up doing what they're comfortable doing. And that might not be hunting. It might be making flyers like at Fred A's Hotel. Good tie-in. It could be making flyers. (laughs) You know, you said something earlier about the value of taking a step outside of hospitality when you worked for BlackBerry and stepping back in. And I did that in a sort of a way. I, I, when I first started my company, I had a lot of non-hospitality clients. So I was really exposed to tech, healthcare, insurance, finance, a few other industries. And one of the things that I thought, if I ever go back on property or if I ever go back into the hotel business, I will hire a virtual assistant and I will not tell a soul. I will hire a virtual assistant to do this busy work or this non-value add stuff that I'm tasked with or required to do. And I just won't tell anyone. And that person will be my support system and make me successful and allow me to focus on the things that I'm really good at. I love that. I just wish hoteliers could do that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a time for innovation. And this is where some people get it. I've met some incredible people this past year, you being one of them, the past 18 months over COVID. I think there's been more time for networking virtually. And you can see the people who are innovating and looking at staffing models, looking at their current onboarding process, you know, to say, how do I... Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. How are we bringing our people back? How are they getting... How are we getting them excited about hospitality again? I am worried that there aren't enough people thinking like that. Why not have a virtual assistant? If people are just looking at dollars and cents and bottom line and they they don't have the vision, a pandemic's not going to change that. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of very practical and tangible tips that they can try in their hotel or their business. So I ask you, Tammy Gillis, what are the one or two things you hope if they take nothing else away from Room to Grow that readers take away from your book? If you had to pick one or two things, what would they be? Mm, Only one or two. So my first one would be sales is imperative. It's not a nice to have. It's a need to have. It's not something you do in a pandemic or an economic downturn. It's something that you do on a continuous basis so that when there are those things that happen, you can weather the storm and come out of it ahead. Secondly, I would say sales is a skilled trade and needs to be treated as such. And it's not. We just think, oh, let's put this person from the front desk who's great at checking people in, in a sales position, and we don't give them the tools to support them. And you look at any other department in our industry, you know, a chef has to have papers, your accountant has to have, you know, a CPA or a designation. 
Housekeeping has an absolute SOP and a checklist for how they do things. Sales is no different. It's a skilled trade. And we need to start hiring, supporting, and training for the profession that it is. I think that's my biggest message. I want to add one thing to that, which is there's a section, I think in the second half of the book that talks about making a call plan, planning out your objectives for your interactions with potential customers or business contacts. And I found that to be tremendously helpful. I'm definitely a planner and a preparer. But to see the way that you have it laid out and the template that you recommend, I thought was really helpful. What are a couple of ideas if I am on property sales listening to this right now and I need to convince my general manager or owner that I need to be proactive, that I need to spend dedicated time selling? What are a couple of ideas for how I can do some internal marketing for that within my property? Well, be prepared to have a business conversation and not a sales conversation. So most general managers and owners care about numbers. And I would say, do your homework, look at the star report. If your hotel is lacking in base business Sunday to Thursday, and that's where you're getting beaten up in terms of the comp set, and you've been doing parking lot checks, you've got an agency 360 report, you've got a list of top accounts staying at the comp set, I would be booking some time with that GM, having a business conversation and saying, see this gap on the star report? I have a plan to bridge this gap that exists between our occupancy and our ADR index and help us ramp up and and get some more profitable based business so we're not just filling last and relying too heavily on OTAs. And here's the plan. But in order for me to execute, here's what I need to do more of And here's what I need to do less of. Now, if you're suggesting you give some things away, you need to have a solution for how that owner is going to do that. You can't just serve up a problem and say, you know, deal with it. If you're being strategic and you said, here's a solution, here's why you want me to do this. Here are two or three things I need to stop doing. And here's how I can stop doing it. You've just solved their problem and added so much value. Don't just complain and say, I want to do more sales. What does that mean? Show them the money, have a business conversation and help them solve the problem. If you could change one thing about the current state of affairs on property, what would it be? Look beyond what's happening today. You know, our industry is going to come roaring back and so many hotel owners and operators are still acting like it's crisis mode. We need to get our heads out of the sand, start making investments, retraining our people because it will come roaring back and the customers want to travel. We're just not ready to receive them yet. There's a lot of work to be done. What's one prediction you have for the future of hotels? Well, I'm going to get out my crystal ball, which hasn't been working the last 18 months. (laughs) Prediction is... We're at a critical time where we can we need to look at the industry, which has been really bruised the last 18 months as an employer of choice and say, do we want to come together and do something about this and make hospitality cool again so we can actually be a place with 
an incredible career path. I mean, where can you go where you can start at the front desk and become CEO? One of the predictions I think is that's going to happen a lot faster because of this labor crisis. There's no better time to join the hospitality industry. And if you do the work and choose to work for the right company, I think that path to accelerate and get promoted is going to be much shorter than it ever has been because of this labor crisis. So that's one prediction. Another prediction, there's going to be some that may not evolve and they may not survive because status quo is not optional. This has been a major wake-up call and there's been more innovation done in 18 months than probably the last 10 years. Let's listen, let's learn, and let's get better. Let's not just stay stagnant. What's next for you and for Gillis Sales? There's a lot of work to do in rebuilding sales teams and helping hotels get out of this recovery. So I think going deeper and wider to tease you a little bit with a project we're working on, that's more to come. We're going to be launching a pretty innovative training platform to make hospitality cool again. And I'm happy to come back on your show when it's more public information and give you a sneak peek at what that looks like. I've, I've been very fortunate for 30 years being in this industry And I'm not one that's going to complain about what's wrong. I want to come up with solutions and and surround myself with people who want to solve for this problem. Okay, folks, before Tammy scurries away, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Tammy, what is a story that you would only tell on the loading dock? I had to really think about this question. One thing that might surprise you is that I almost didn't finish high school. I was a terrible student and a lost soul, really, truly was a lost soul. Um, And I was 20 years old when I got my high school diploma. And I almost blew it. I almost blew it. I always had these big plans of what I wanted to do, but I wasn't doing anything that aligned with that. So when I finally got my diploma and I went off for hospitality school, which is a three-year program, I never took it for granted. And I was on the honor roll and I volunteered for everything possible. And anyone who didn't know me thought that I was this goody two-shoes, uptight, very studious person, but little did they know I came very close to being a high school dropout. How do you think that that fact changes your perspective about the hospitality and hotel career path? Well, little did I know how inclusive hospitality is and how it does not discriminate in any way with education and you know, I had this conversation with our kids because I'm, I'm pushing one of them towards hospitality to say, who cares? Yes, I want you to get a post-secondary education. But we want people who know how to serve people and who love this business and aren't afraid to hustle and work hard. So yeah, 30 years ago, although I came close to possibly dropping out of high school, had I chosen hospitality and not gone to school, Would I be in the same place? That's a good question. 
I know I would have had similar opportunity because it is so inclusive and you can get a job anywhere. But let me tell you, I will never take my education for granted. And the power of working hard and creating your future and not just coasting, that was a lesson for me at 20 that has stayed with me that I needed to learn at that time. How much of your drive do you attribute to an internal force? And how much of it do you attribute to having had mentors or people showing you the way? Oh, it's internal. I've had amazing mentors and people that I, that's what I love about this industry that have showed me the way, but I got there through my internal force. Only because, you know, I come from a working class family. I had grit from the time I was 13 with my first job in a restaurant. I know I had, I knew I had to make money if I wanted to buy the cool jeans and not, you know, go to whatever department store my dad was buying my clothes at. So I, I had grit and I knew that I didn't have a safety net. And that drive has been with me forever. So I think you've got to have both. I've had amazing mentors and I don't have enough fingers and and toes to count them all, but I had to show up as well. And I had to get to a certain place where you got to put your hand up and you got to ask for help too. Tammy Gillis, thank you so much for being here. I really loved your book. I really loved our conversation and I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. This was so much fun. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash four. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.